What's going on, world? And welcome to another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. My name is Prince, and I am your host. And today we have a very special guest. We have Mr. Alan Henry. He's the partner and general manager over at Atlas Packs. He's also a landscape adventure photojournalism photographer. Alan, welcome to the show. Prince, my friend, my brother, thank you so much. It's great to reconnect. Stoked to uh, stoked to be able to chat a little bit with you and art of visuals uh, community. I'm a big, big fan of you guys and, and everything that you do. And thanks for that red intro as well. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the show today. For those of you that don't know, Alan is the founder over at Atlas Packs, and I met him over at Sony Condo uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago. And we had an amazing time, great conversation, thought he was a really interesting guy. And so I had to bring you on the show. Why don't you start by sharing a little bit of background information on yourself with the AOV community? Yeah, my, my pleasure. So that Sony uh, condo event was outstanding, and I took a lot away from, from that event. And as a new brand, I was, I was just delighted to be able to be there and to attend. So uh, me, myself, my background for, uh, for almost a decade, I was a photojournalist with USA Today Sports, started in 2008, 2009. And my niche was sports. So I spent a lot of time with the PGA Tour, spent three years full-time covering covering the tour, had a lot of success. I'm a good shooter. I'm a good photographer. But ever since um, I, I, you know, when I first got into it, I knew that for me personally, photography wasn't, wasn't always going to be my end game. It is, it's tough. It's, it's, a, it's a tough living to be a freelancer, to kind of go out and scrape every single week, every single month for new gigs and, and, and new opportunities. Travel is tough on the family and on the, on, on the wife and on the kids and on, your, on yourself personally. And I love photography. And so I knew I had to kind of figure out a way where I could leverage my experience as a, as a shooter and my experiences uh, prior to photography as an entrepreneur. And in 2012, the opportunity to kind of build this bag company came about. So I'm actually not the, the designer or the inventor of the bags. It's, it's my partner, my business partner, David Tedesco's. And um, David came up with the idea after he did a one-month Everest trek. And when you go to Everest and you do, a, you do a, a trek, it's a base camp trek, and you essentially you go from one base camp to the next base camp to the next. And when he got back from the trip, I said, where are all your photos? And he's like, this is what I want to talk to you about. And I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, it, it was really like, too hard for me to get to my camera gear on a regular basis. And I ended up not taking a lot of, a lot of photos. And I mentioned that because um, Dave was the reason I became a photographer. I used to borrow his gear and sneak into PGA tour events. And that's how I got my, got my start. And for him not to shoot on an Everest trip was, was, was pretty surprising, but he used that frustration and he started showing me some of the early prototypes that, that he had kind of um, worked through and uh, I was like, you are, you're onto something. And um, we essentially took those, those early models and we found a factory in the, in the Philippines called Dong In, which at that stage was a much smaller than they, than they are now. And uh, we worked with them over a course of um, three years to build out a, uh, a number of what they call revs or revolutions to get to the, the packs that we, have, that we have today. And we started with a very small run of just, just 300 bags that we produced in 2015. And essentially the bags all came three in a box. So when I went to an event, I would take a 
big box with me and I would take one bag for myself and I would test that one and I would give one bag to another photog that, that I knew and then I would give one bag to somebody I didn't know. And that was kind of how I learned to like, I think all photographers are a little bit introverted and I learned to kind of like step out of my shell. And my only rule was you can't tell anybody about this, right? You can test it, but you just have to tell me if you like it, don't like it. And there were a lot of things wrong and there were a lot of things right with those early products. Um, but what it taught me most importantly was that we were onto something. And what we had was a solution that nobody else in the market, even today, was, is thinking about. And that's finding a good balance between a bag that can carry both camera gear, a bag that can carry a large amount of personal gear that can be carried comfortably, right? So it has good support and then um, also has a good workflow associated with it. And it's the balance of those four things that makes Atlas Packs really so unique and so special in the market. Like there's a lot of great bags and a lot of great fans and I'm big fans of all of them. And nobody has anything similar, similar to us. Everybody else is very focused singularly on the carry, carrying of the camera. And we're focused on the balance of those four, four elements. I dig that. It's super important, I think, speci specifically for the yeah. right person to have all four of those elements intact. And before we get to into more in-depth on the mm -hmm. bag side, uh, let's talk a little bit more about yeah. the photography still. So you started out shooting. Was So that's how you got into photography was, yeah. was sneaking on to the PGA yeah. Tour tournaments and, and, and shooting. That's yeah. so rad. What was one of the wildest stories you have from shooting at a PGA tournament? So I got a lot, you know, when you do something a lot, you know, you're going to run into, you're going to put yourself in crazy, crazy circumstances. So I'll start with how I really broke in and then I'll give you kind of one of my favorites from the ranks. So, um, in 2009, there was a, a tournament in New York called the U S open, which is one of four majors within the world of golf. And I won't get too far down the, 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 the golf rabbit hole, but um, a week preceding the event, there was a private event put on by uh, um, a magazine called Golf Digest. And it was four people playing in the tournament. And it was Michael Jordan and Ben Roethlisberger and Justin Timberlake. And as it so happens, a police officer from Phoenix. And I had gotten to know that police officer. And I tried to get a credential to cover that event. Because it was 2008, 2009, and I, and I, at that stage, I wasn't like, I was still searching for what I wanted to do as a photog. And so I ended up uh, flying into New York, somehow talking and working my way through all the layers of security with all my camera gear. And I went and shot that event. And I ended up making a coffee table book that I gave to Timberlake and Roethlisberger and Jordan and the police officer from Phoenix. But I also saved one copy that I gave to uh, Jerry Tardy, who's the publisher of Golf Digest, which is a Condé Nast publication. And I, uh, at that point, I was, um, I'd just maybe done one or two events for USA Today. And one of the events I'd signed up for specifically because I knew he played in that event was the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And I took my last coffee table book, and they were expensive, like four or $500, made by a company called Couture Books, which is based out here in Phoenix, actually, very big in the, in the wedding space. And um, I gave it to the concierge, and he, I said, please give this to Mr. Tardy. And I didn't, didn't hear anything back on Saturday and didn't hear anything back on Sunday. But on Monday, I got a call from the, uh, um, the creative director from Golf Digest, and I got hired for my first gig. 
And so that was how I kind of went from being on the fringes to essentially being from to breaking in. And uh, it's a, it's, I don't think I could repeat that process or that those steps today, but somehow it worked out for me back then. Dude, that talk about hustling, talk about what I love to hear. I wish I heard more of those stories. You know, you hear so many stories from people that didn't get an opportunity or this or that, but you don't hear the stories of, I hustled so hard. I tried to, I tried a unique angle. Like instead of approaching this, like everyone else would ever approach this, you approach it in a new way and in a way that would be really difficult to forget, um, which ended up landing you a job. That's so yeah. awesome. Yeah. Take notes, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, anyone that, anyone that's struggling out there looking for work, you got to do something to stand out. And I think what you did was, it was a perfect example. I, that would work today to this day. There's, that would there's still... no doubt about, it. you know, and I talked with a lot of photogs about um, the difference between asking permission and asking for forgiveness. And I think when you're struggling and you're not, you're not getting the traction that you need, you need to ask for permission because you got nothing to lose, right? Like what's the worst that's going to happen. And by the way, when I was out there, they caught me, they busted me and they said, you have to leave. And I right. said, you don't have the right to ask me to leave. And they realized that they didn't. But then they said, you can't publish the book. And I was like, you don't have the right because you let me be out there. So, you know, you got to challenge the conventional wisdom. You've got to push the boundaries. Right. But you also have to know when you have to ask for permission. And I think that's the difference, right? Like you, you, there's an evolution with, with anything. And you can't always go charging ahead and expect the types of, you know, the types of results. Sometimes you kind of have, have to kind of eat a little crow or just stand in line yeah. and don't ask permission. Ask yeah, forgiveness. And so go from there, you know, in terms of, you know, working with, with the tour and working with the players, I'm trying to think I, I had some amazing experiences. Probably uh, I got photo of the year from golf magazine and sports illustrated for, for a photo I did, which was, which was a pretty big hit. Probably the, actually the thing that, is more interesting to me is the droughts that I went through. So when I first started my first PGA tour event, I got a double truck and I don't know if you know what a double truck is or if your listeners do, but it's when you get a, a two page spread in a magazine, right? Like magazines are pretty much dead at this stage of the game in some regards. Right. But you know, I really only shot for print mostly. Right. So to get a doubles truck in a magazine, my first right. uh, NASCAR event, I got a double truck. Like I hit the ground like so hot I can't even tell you and then I don't know what happened but it went cold as quick as it got hot and for almost a year I had almost nothing published I went from I would show up I would take pictures and they would find their way in magazine to all of a sudden it was like it was crickets and I went through a year where I really questioned if this was the right profession if this was the right occupation for me was I spending my time and energy in the in the in the right places what eventually I came to learn is that you just need to like settle in and you need to find your spot and you need to not like worry about the day and you need to like think about things a little bit more long-term. And what I realized was I was trying to mm -hmm. recreate what I had already done. I was trying to create things that I thought people wanted. And it was, it took me a year to flush through that and to settle in and then to fundamentally kind of find my niche and, and find my success. So I don't know. That's a long answer to your question. Probably some of the, the craziest stories I had always going to involve Tiger. I mean, I've been hit by him with golf balls, him and Rory, 
You know, back in the day, cell phones weren't allowed out in the, when you went to events. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, there were circumstances where, you know, media, you're allowed to bring your phone out there and my phone would ring at like odd time anyway, like just kind of making a silly fool out of yourself and kind of eating crow. And, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's like anything you do something enough times, you're going to make a mistake and you're going to mess up. And I certainly did. I certainly had my, my, my share of those. I'm I'm sure those were uh, were great stories yeah. in themselves. <laughs> okay, so when did when did the transfer yeah. happen? At what at what point did you transfer out of the making a living as a photographer to uh, deciding that you were passionate? You know, finding a passion in designing products for photographers. So literally, from the moment I decided I want to become a photographer, the very first. I mean, I'm all self-taught and, uh, or YouTube or local camera shop, but I did go to one event. I went to a sports shooter event in LA that basically was run. I can't remember who ran it off the cuff, but there was a photographer there. It was a documentary photographer. He was a great photographer, but he had developed a, a speed light system for, for flashes. That was a product. And I, and I remember sitting in his workshop thinking, I want to be a photographer, but I want to make stuff for photographers. Like my entrepreneurial background was, was already peaking before I even knew like how to operate a camera. And when David connected with me in 2012, I was already teetering off my PGA tour coverage. We had just had our second child. I knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't travel as much anymore. And it essentially took me three years to transition to a point where I no longer had to depend on photography in order to kind of, have a living wage if that makes if that makes sense right so three years of still doing photojournalism covering a ton of local sports doing a lot for you know from headshots from attorney's offices to golf course landscapes i mean you know like just i had a camera i did i did i had a contract with little lemon for six years so i shot over a hundred of their like i was busy but i was also grinding and working on the packs at the same time and so essentially in 2015 I made a much harder shift where I was no longer actively booking, uh, booking photography gigs. So in fairness, the amount of time spent on Atlas packs in those early years was, was pretty minimal, right? You know, we'd send a bag off to the factory a month or so later, they'd send it back. We'd dork around with it for a month and send it there. It really wasn't, you know, it was, it was more about getting myself ready to move out of photography and, just trusting and believing that I would have the ability to, to go out and, you know, sell a product, sell something new that, that was, that, that was, that was out on the, on the marketplace. But that, that transition from the, the PGA tour and from USA Today, where essentially I had one client that was feeding me all my business, transitioning from mm. that to opening myself up and going and finding new clients, especially when my skill sets were, oriented around sports photography. And so I had to learn how to shoot with strobes. Like I never used a strobe out in the PGA tour, like no sports use strobes, no sports, you know, it's all, it's all accessible light. It's all natural light that's out there. So I essentially had to mm -hmm. learn how to, and teach myself how to, how to shoot portraits, how to, you know, I could go do golf landscapes, but I couldn't do corporate portraits in 2012. So I spent a lot of time, you know, teaching myself how to shoot saying I could do something and then figuring out if I could do it after the fact, which, you know, is a little bit like, 
you know, asking, asking for forgiveness instead of asking for permission. Right. Um, but to me, the hustle is synonymous with passion. I don't think of it any different from each other. And the same, as passionate as I am, I've always been passionate about the things that I've done. I've been very blessed to have careers where I can kind of put a lot of my heart and soul into something. One of the main differences I ever is literally I wear my brand on my, on my, on my, on my chest every day. I've gone two and a half years and I've put on an Atlas Packs t-shirt every single day of, of, of that time period. So it makes getting dressed for work super easy, but it, you know, it, uh, it, it, it also, it, it's also a connection that I have where I'm incredibly passionate about what I do and what, what, what my responsibility is to Atlas Packs uh, and to my, my customers. And I fundamentally couldn't do that if I didn't have this, the, the amount of hustle that, that we're talking about, because I wouldn't be able to relate to the experiences that, that, you know, creators go through in today's age. And, you know, sports, I think sports photography is just a dying niche anyway. Like I don't see many people getting into it, but the, the desire to go out and create content and, and beat your own path and to discover places that other people haven't gone. I mean, really, this is the, the forefront of photography as, as it stands today. And um, the funny part is that's not who I am as a shooter, right? Like I'm not, quote unquote, an outdoor person. So I really have to listen very hard to my customers and engage with them to make sure I'm creating solutions for them that, that, they, that they need and, the, and, the, and that they want. And as passionate as I am about photography, I'm even more passionate about creating tools for photographers, tools that make us better at, 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 at our jobs and how we operate and how we travel and how we create. So. So what other tools do you think might be out there that are, that are missing right now for photographers or that are, that could be, that definitely have lots of room for improvement? So I think the biggest, the biggest one is best practices. And I, I don't want to say this in like a loosey goosey way, but, um, you know, there's, there's no recipe to, to success that you can follow as a photographer. You just have to figure a lot of it out yourself. And, uh, I think the, the, the solutions a lot of brands create don't always uh, include good workflow and don't always enhance best practices. And so, you know, for, for me, that's, you know, Atlas Packs has to have a very distinct value in the market. There's a, we have to, I'm not going to make something if somebody else has something else close. You know, I would say in terms of something specific, I would say that, ways to carry cameras on our body is probably a big missing link in the industry, right? Like neck straps, like suck. Like I just don't know another way to say it. Like nobody likes them. They're little risk ones. Nobody likes them. Um, for years I used the think tank belt system, which works phenomenally, but you just look like a little bit of a, you know, I mean, you know, just, it just doesn't, it's not, it's not a very fashion forward thing, but it's very practical. And so right. I think ways to help photographers, right? Because because if you can if you can carry something well, it lessens the wear and tear on your body. It you know there's so anyway. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's an area of opportunity. Um, probably clothing. I think some there could be some some interesting photographer specific or content creator specific clothing that's out there. But I don't know if those are things that Atlas Pax needs to be tackling in, you know anytime soon. But I I, I certainly yeah. think about think about them.
Yeah, no, absolutely. I love talking about that stuff because, I mean, we have so many people listening to this podcast and ideas are like ideas are, are, are great mm-hmm. to throw around. I love talking to guys like yourself because I know you have lots of ideas. Uh, I have lots of ideas. Like you just said, you're not sure if that's something Atlas Packs needs to be doing. More or less, hey, someone listening, anyone, here's yeah. good ideas. And so many people struggle in the market because they're trying to make their income as a photographer like you were, but you found out you found a more fulfilling place. You still get to do your photography and stuff, you know, as a passion now, but you found a more fulfilling place on the business side to be creating products for photographers. And so for any photographer out there listening that has even the slightest itch for a little entrepreneurship uh, journey, I mean, creating a product around something you're really passionate about is normally a pretty good place to start if there's a market. Yeah. In need. And, um, you know, going back, we were at the, the condo event together and there were maybe, I don't know, 450, 500 creators there, but there's only mm-hmm. a dozen manufacturers, right? So, you know, as good as I am slash was as a golf photographer, I never scratched the surface in terms of just the photography world in general. I mean, there are so many amazing shooters shooters out there and there's so much amazing content out there you just kind of get lost in the shuffle to a certain extent it takes a lot to stand out and even when you stand out it's it's sometimes within a very you know one person's all you know all you know one person's best photographer is another photographer somebody else has never ever heard of and to be part of the manufacturing family and to create products that you know by and large make a difference in photographers' lives. Like I'm, I'm personally very fulfilled by not only how many packs we sell, but more importantly, the results that my products are able to, you know, the, the, the stories that I hear from the field and the, and the feedback that I get from my customers, that fuels my fire a bazillion times more than getting my photos published every day. And, you know, I, it's just like, it's incredibly rewarding. And I, and, and so I love where you've kind of taken this conversation. Absolutely. And, and, and it doesn't matter, even if within the world of bags, I think there are missing opportunities within the world of bags. And if you're a photographer out there and you've got an idea for a pack or a bag or a caring solution, follow that path, take it, you know, go get some molds made, go get a 3d printer, go, go get a seamstress to put something together and have buddies test it out. I mean, it's how I started. It's how, you know, it's like, you just get out there and and see what the feedback is. And worst case, you learn from the experience, right? Best case, it ends mm-hmm. up resulting in something that you can fundamentally end up manufacturing and you can build a business out of and you can uh, provide creators with, with a solution that they, you know, that, that, that makes them happy. And you will, once again, it's, it's incredibly personally rewarding to be able to make things for, for photographers and um you know like i got somebody's back i don't know another way to say it like you know it's i got somebody's back it's a cool it's a cool position to be in and i don't i take that responsibility with a lot it's a lot of responsibility like i'm very serious about it right like i take a lot of pride in the build quality um in in the designs and you know most importantly the fact that photography is a practice, right? You, you, you never stop learning. You never stop growing. And for me, because I'm a photographer first and not a bag designer, 
the, the packs are the same way, right? Like it's just, an, it's just a way for me to have a conversation with photographers. So you get my product, you now understand my design language. If you've got ideas that can improve that, this is your responsibility as a customer. And, you know, I, the, the packs wouldn't be where they are today if it wasn't, if it wasn't for my customer base. And um, where they're going in the future is directly based upon the, the feedback that I've gotten from the field, right? So my, how I shoot and what my focus is and how, what my kind of professional career has been is a very different niche than what most of my customers are. But it's, you know, I think if I was an outdoor photographer, it'd be a lot harder for me to be open to things because I would already have that knowledge and that experience. So like, I like being uncomfortable within the outdoor space as a photographer because it, 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 it raises my learning. It, it pushes me to ask questions that I wouldn't be asking another sports photog because dude, I am a sports photog and you know, you don't learn if you don't ask. Right. Dude. I love that. I'm curious what makes Atlas packs, I guess, different than, other backpack brands so i got kind of two answers to this right my marketing answer would be well we can hold camera gear and non-camera gear and you know all those types of things oh the bags very look very different which is all kind of true but i think fundamentally speaking um the answer is me i don't know another way to say it right and just from a it's just it's just an extension of the conversation that we just had is most other bag brands have designers that are in-house and full-time. Most other bag brands are thinking about just the camera gear. And, um, you know, I, I just I approach things differently. I put myself – like if you go to the website, I'm, inter I'm talking about it from a firsthand perspective, which is just a different way of communicating. Like, um, and in part, it's because we're still such a baby brand. We're still so new that in order to stand out, you just, I think fundamentally, you need to have a different conversation with your, with your customer. So I've made myself personally very accessible. Um, my cell numbers on the site, you can text, you can call, you can email. I mean, now we have a customer service team made up of, of customers. We have an Atlas Packs Pro team, but I still read through every single one of those emails. I still jump in on a lot. Um, you know, it's like, simple answer is me. I put myself between my product and my client so that I can manage, manage the things that, that are important at this stage, which in some cases means that we're missing out on opportunities as we've talked about some marketing and email and some of the other things, but all that stuff will fill in later today. We're, we're you know, we're selling more bags than I can make. Right. And it, it's just a, it's having, putting myself in, in the junction there is a big part of the difference between how Atlas Packs has grown as a brand and how other brands um, have kind of come to life. Now, I don't think that mm -hmm. that's a sustainable model long term, but it certainly is working in the, in the short term and the near term. Right. And then I love it. I mean, the reality is in the near term, oftentimes the best marketing and the best things to do in the early days are the things that don't yes. scale. And that's exactly why you're saying you don't know how much longer you'll be able to do this. But for now, it's working because you have a closed feedback loop. You're able to get feedback real time from your customers. And like we were talking about earlier, most people are so far away from their yeah. customers in the supply chain that they never get that feedback. They don't even really know who their customers are because they're buying yeah. at the store. 
and they've actually never sold the product directly to their customer or had a chance to really sit down and talk with them. And so that's a really interesting angle outside of you bringing the X factor to Atlas packs. What about the design? I mean, the design itself is also very unique as far as the industry goes of camera bag creators, builders, manufacturers. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a big logo on the, on the front of it. The bags are certainly styled like outdoor bags and they come from an outdoor heritage. So they're made in a a factory in the Philippines that, um, produces the most technical packs in the world for the, the top echelon of outdoor brands. If you go to REI, pretty much anything with a frame in it's probably made at uh, our factory in, in, in the Philippines called, called Dong In. And so the, the heritage of the pack stemmed, has an outdoor, has an outdoor heritage, it's got an outdoor feel, right? It's, it's also the, the design language is also very limiting when it comes to the camera gear. So especially the athlete pack, which is by far and away our most popular, popular bag, right? It's got three times more as much room for non-camera gear as it does for camera gear. And yet it's, you know, it's, you know, I sold through, sold through a ton of them that first year because there's nothing else kind of on the market that that meets that meets that need. So, you know, interestingly enough, Carryology, which is one of my favorite um, favorite brands and sites for kind of all things bags, they did a review. They did um, uh, best camera bags for 2019. We were on their 2018 list because that's when we came out. And um, so we obviously weren't on the 2019, but I look through that stuff. And I study it, and the biggest bag on that whole list was like 22 liters, right? And our athlete bag starts at 22 liters and goes to 40 liters. So the 13 most popular bags on the market ranked essentially by the de facto industry standard for, for bag rankings gave awards or recognized 13 camera bags in the market all of which were pretty much, I think one was red and one was green, and then the other 11 were pretty much black. And they, they, they were all very much have a city, a city style, a city aesthetic, and none of them whole have room for anything besides camera gear. So they're cam- camera-carrying solutions. And it doesn't take a lot for a consumer to realize that when they need a bag for something besides camera gear, what are they going to do? And a lot of us turn to non-camera bags for those solutions because that's, you know, we, we have those things laying around or I'm going to go to REI, I'm going to buy an Osprey and our ter- you know, whatever it might be because they're great bags. They carry right. great, but there's no workflow there. So right. I don't know if I answered your question kind of a long way around, but um, there's a lot. Th- I don't think there's any one, one, one thing per se. It's a combination of the design language kind of, the, the X factor in me. And then probably the one that I, I haven't mentioned is, is just the Instagram side of things, right? So um, our website's pretty bare bones. It's pretty simple in terms of trying to keep things specific to the product. But I am, um, you know, I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of Instagram. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a big part of the reason Atlas Packs is what it is, is because of, because of Instagram. We launched on there before we even have a website. We were on Instagram for almost a year before we had a website. And so, Things like the story posts and direct messages and group messages and building out relationships with people, you know, it's I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of, of of Instagram for you know for those reasons. And candidly, it's a great communications platform. So it's so much easier for me to answer and work with customers because of the formality of email mm-hmm. requires a whole different level of 
back and forth. You got to tie you know, you got to introduce yourself. You got to have a closing, you know, it's like, there's a lot of effort that goes into just responding to somebody in an email because it's an email and you can, I can, I can mm -hmm. bang through 20 direct messages in the time it takes me to do three emails. Right. So I really, I, I push a lot of the communications to Instagram because DM is a very efficient way to communicate and it's a much more personal way to communicate. And more importantly, um, it shocks people when, when brands respond to them, right? Like I know as a consumer, when I reach out to brands, I very rarely do I ever hear back from them, right? Like I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but it just seems like that's more commonplace. And when you, when you send a direct message to Atlas Packs and you get a response from me, usually, you know, six to 12 hours, just depending on the time change, like, you know, it makes people feel good. And that's important. That's important to me. Um, and, uh, and that's everything from pre-sales all the way to post-sales and warranty and customer service. And we did packed and deliver on time and all that type of stuff. Right. Just, 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 just handle it, get sorted out. Yeah, that's rad. The cool thing. Uh, I love how you have all this content yeah. information and, and more than happy to answer everyone's questions. Uh, and that's, that's fantastic. It's kind of neat too, because you guys, you have like your story mm -hmm. highlights and if you wanted to, you already have a lot of great content around your product. You have a lot of great questions answered. You can make like an FAQ highlight to where people could just click on that and just not even have to bother you. They can just, because at the end of the day, they don't care about how, they just want the answer. To, like, that's all to, customers. That, to a know, certain a extent. We just want. I don't know. This is where, so I, at one point I had much more information on the site. And, um, I remember specifically the moment I did a big site update and it went from like active and lots of sales. And it was like almost overnight. It was like crickets. I was like, I was freaking out. And I went and reached out right. to a couple of people that I trusted and they all said the same thing to me. They're like, you've, 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 you've answered every question you have on your website. And it made me realize that what people want is they want to know that, how do I say it? A hundred people buy something, 50 of them have no inclination or reason to ever contact. They'll make a decision based upon reviews and based upon what they read and just kind of like, you know, especially within our space that people are kind of outliers, right? right. Like we're still very much an outlier brand. We're not a common, a commonly known, known brand. Mm -hmm. And then the other 50% of the people, even though the answer is there, they still want to see if somebody else is there, Right. And so what I, what I come to have come to appreciate is, is when somebody, somebody asks, asks me a question simply to see if somebody is going to answer. And so I've been very purposeful with not giving, not doing a ton of FAQs, but more trying to create resources where people can go and do the research and go and find the information. And if they can't figure it out for themselves, then putting myself and putting the brand in such a position that people feel comfortable asking a question. Um, and they've been, uh, they've been, I've had a lot of challenges around that. Like I opened up a ticket system because up until maybe two and a half months ago, all of that was coming into my personal inbox and I, I couldn't handle it anymore. So I hired the, started onboarding customers to be part of the Atlas Packs Pro team. I built out a ticket system um, to deal with the incoming requests. I added SMS and phone calls to another system. So I've like built out a little CRM platform for myself with all these different kind of third-party mechanisms tying into each other and tying back to my Shopify. 
And then uh, it was going great. And then I went out of town for a month and it just, it failed. I don't know another way to say it. Like um, if you emailed me or Atlas Packs, like sometime between the middle of July and end of August, like it was, it, it's, I may still not have gotten back to you. I still have two pages of people to get back to. And so I mentioned that because just, you know, like there's, there's just failure points within any business. And, um, it's part yeah. of something that I've had to kind of learn and grow through. And it's, you know, one of the, one of the, one of those phases. So actually, um, my wife was seeing how stressed out I was. And so she's been jumping in and helping with customer service stuff. Um, and the, t- the team's been, you know, anyway, it's, uh, it's one of those problems that's been created through demand, right? So I'm not complaining about it, but it's it certainly, it's also one of those things where as a business, I haven't, uh, I failed. I, I've, you know, I didn't do a good job and I've had to learn from those mistakes and, um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm work, I'm working through them. So, uh, it's, you know, it's just part of having a, having a, a brand that's growing and being part of a, having part of a business where essentially I'm doing everything. So I do have um, a couple of guys, Nader and Justin, come in every day and help me box up packs. And so I have people to help me with a lot of the day-to-day things. But, you know, outside of that, you know, it's, it's all me, which, which, which means it's going to be bottlenecks. If I'm doing one thing, it means I'm not doing something else. I, I love that grassroots approach, though. It's, it's such an uncommon story, I feel like, in today's landscape. But they're still out there. You know, I, I'm big on uh, buying products from small yeah. companies. Like I find watch brands. I don't enjoy buying like retail watches. And so I find these independent small family yeah. owned watch companies and they make amazing yeah. timeless pieces that are just beautiful and made from the heart and soul. And, uh, but you'll never see them in an ad. They don't have a massive advertising budget or anything like that, but the product is, you know, uh, top notch. And so it's really neat to know that there's still people uh, putting the soul yeah. back into business. So many businesses and so many brands are soulless. Uh, and so I love just hearing your story and, and appreciate you sharing your story with us. And before yeah. we wrap up, I wanted to ask you one last question. Uh, we normally wrap the podcast with our guests sharing words of mm-hmm. wisdom uh, and inspiration, motivation with the community. So I'm sure you're full of, of great things to say to these, uh, these young creators. And uh, whenever you're ready, feel free to hop on in there and deliver some, some love. Yeah. Edit less. That's my, that's my advice to young creators. Edit less, enjoy the process more. Don't make things because that's what everybody else is doing and make it because you want to. And if the day you go out there, you don't get the sunset or you don't get the sunrise like what other people got, just keep, keep your edits simple, enjoy it for what it is and let the work, let the work speak for itself. I love it. Alan Henry, ladies and gentlemen, be sure to check him out at Atlas Packs on Instagram. Thanks, Prince Brother. Make sure to give him a follow. I appreciate you so much for coming on the show. Uh, make sure you guys subscribe to the AOV podcast and stay tuned for the next episode. Peace. Have a great weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Peace. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the AOV podcast. Our goal here at Art of Visuals is to keep 
everything free into creating great tools and resources for you guys to utilize to to achieve all your guys' dreams in the photography, filmmaking, and content creation world, even entrepreneurship. With that said, we've picked up Adorama as a sponsor to help us cover some of our costs, and we're grateful for them. All we ask of you guys is if you're going to purchase gear, we'd really love it if you guys would head over to Adorama.com and make your purchase there instead of elsewhere. And just know that when you guys do that, you guys will also somewhat be supporting Art of Visuals and allowing us to continue to create great content for you guys, our podcasts, our free app, and a lot of the other great things we do. Also, if you listen to the podcast, all of the AOV presets are now free. So check out our website, shop.artofvisuals.com. Go get some free presets. The artist presets are still for sale. If you want to support the artist and you should support the artist, uh, just know that that money goes to them. And we're also going to be reworking that commission structure uh, here in the next month. So we're really stoked about that. But go get some free presets. And if you guys want to buy gear, please support us. Help us out. Go to adorama.com. Peace.